You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, Redeemer. How are we? Oh, wow, that good. Man. Man, well, hey, my name is Brandon Gilbert. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And before we jump into our text today, let me just say happy Father's Day to all those uh, fathers out there, would-be fathers, desire-to-be fathers, uh, grandfathers, spiritual fathers, um, all of those that are in attendance today. And, and, you know, it's great. I think throughout my own fatherhood and and even with my kids, how often I fail. And and let me give you an encouragement, dads, that though we may fail and though often we, um, you know, I'm brought to tears often that we have a good father that we can look to in the Bible. And uh, we have one that guides and directs and loves and cares better than we ever could. And so um, wherever you are on that journey, um, the goal is not to point to ourselves, but rather to point uh, those in our care to him. And so, um, man, let me pray for fathers and, and then we'll jump in. God, I, I'm grateful for today. Uh, just grateful to be surrounded by a church that, that values the, the community. And, and Father, just pray today for dads out there, wherever that journey is and whatever those emotions that gets sprung up by Father's Day or memories of our father that we lost or wherever it may be, Father, that you would come and, and you would bring great peace. And God, you would bring great security and resolve to us that we may look to you as the good father and that we may look to you um, in the midst of our weakness and draw strength from who you are. We're grateful for this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, hey, if you've been with us for any length of time, or maybe this is your first time, or you've been coming a couple times, we're in the midst of a Bible reading plan. And this semester in particular, we've been walking through the Old Testament. And, and today we get to stop as one of my favorite prophets, Jeremiah. Now, when you saw that, you thought, ah, he's going to go 2911, right? No, go to Mardell, buy the coffee cup, you know, get the blanket, whatever it may be. We're going we're gonna to go to the beginning of the call. I'll bring in a little 29 there, but, but I want to look at something uh, in particular with Jeremiah. Um, I, I think a lot of us, if, if we were to really scale back and be honest with ourselves, uh, this past year has been one of seeming detour after detour to our well thought out plans, right? Um, how many of my planners are out there? Don't be afraid. You can raise your hand. You know, you got that plan. Everything's there. When it doesn't go according to plan, man, we, we can sometimes get angsty in ourselves. And, and, and the last year has been one that has revealed some things. The tumultuousness of it has revealed such strong emotions. And, and I think if you're like me, uh, it may have caused you to wrestle, uh, maybe even question or <gasps> doubt some of the promises of God in his word, maybe his sovereignty. And, and maybe the role that the church plays in the world around us. And, and I think as tensions rose and dismay and disappointment turned to anger, we, we looked and, and if we were to be honest, saw some of ourselves and maybe the church staggering as we wrestled through the trials that we were facing. And I think that would be a really, you know, you're like, great, pick me up 
Right, Brandon? Come here, hear all about the bad. But, but Jeremiah, here's the good thing. Jeremiah offers us a hope in the midst of the tumultuous time. Like, I think Jeremiah speaks to our cultural moment and he speaks to what is happening here, not with a hope that is built on the foundation or the ways of the world that would say, if you just plan better, if you just speak stronger, if you just, you know, stop caring, whatever it may be, that things are gonna work out. But rather, Jeremiah speaks to this great hope in who, God is, and one that's not rooted in the foundations of a broken world, but rather that's rooted in this eternal purposes of God. And so wherever you are today, maybe you're in a season where things are just going well. Uh, I think sometimes in the season of well, it's easy to, to rely on our own plans. You know, we see this idea of the way to life as a sermon series, and, and when things are going well, our way to life just seems great. We're doing what we, we want to, and we rarely press into Jesus, but maybe you're in a season where you're, you're really trying to cling to the promises of God, but despair is rampant. It feels like wave after wave just smashes you in the face over and over again. Maybe, maybe anger is real for you. Maybe depression has set in. But again, God offers hope that we can cling to. God offers truth and trust that is steady and timeless. And, and that's what Jeremiah speaks to today. And so if we were to think from 30,000 foot about what Jeremiah is, who is Jer the book of Jeremiah is, but, but who is Jeremiah? And um, Jeremiah is, is a small town kid. I got any small town people out there? Right, yeah? Yeah, my wife's from Groover, right? Like nobody laughs because like, where's Groover, right? It's... Wait, just go almost Oklahoma, just keep going, right? Um, but he was a small town kid. He, he served a small tribe. Um, he was of a priestly lineage that had kind of just gone by the wayside, been forgotten about. Jeremiah is not a guy that, that we even look like the stage. In fact, if, if in our scripture reading today, what we saw was that Jeremiah was so young at the time of his call that he was still dependent on his parents. Like he was, this is not the guy you're to go, ah, there's the, there's the varsity level dude, right? That's the guy we want up on the stage. But God calls Jeremiah here because Jeremiah lived out, he's from a small town that was just outside of Jerusalem. And he was, small, he was, he was far enough away from Jerusalem to be critical and enter in with truth and love, but close enough to it that he saw the idol worship and he saw what was happening there and how they had compromised that he was familiar with those things. And this is the great thing about Jeremiah is that, that he comes in in the midst of a, of a tumultuous season where, where exile was real and hard-heartedness was real and rebellion against who God was was real and, and compromise and idolatry was rampant. But God still calls Jeremiah and gives him a call. And I wanna look here first at verse nine. Because I wanna look at the threefold message that Jeremiah was to deliver to the people of God. That this people of God that were called for his purposes and yet turned a rebellious heart and hardened themselves to him. Look here in verse nine. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, to build and to plant. 
So, so here's the message that Jeremiah is to deliver to these people, right? First and foremost, he is to talk, pluck and break down that Jeremiah was going to speak against the sinful heart of these people. He was gonna speak and preach against the sin that was rampant there. Really, really uplifting message, right? Everybody's like, come to church just to hear about how bad I am, right? But this is a call of Jeremiah, preach against sin. Secondly, he was talk about destruction and overthrowing. This was a message that was concerning the impending judgment of the people from these other nations, both Assyria and Babylon. And so if it wasn't good enough, God gives him a little bit of a bone here in the third one. He says, to build and to plant. That if they could hear those things, if they could hear the tough love of God, that there would also be hope and renewal that was to come. But as we'll see here in a minute, this tough message um, was not received very well by the people. So Jeremiah comes and is given this message. He's, he's given these words from the Lord. And, and listen, though it was gonna be a hard message, um, God says, hey, I'm gonna put you over nations and over kingdoms. Here's the reality. Whenever God says that, no dude ever says no, right? Hey, I'm gonna give you the power to tear down and destroy nations. Yeah, I'll take that, right? Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll be drawn into that. But, but here was the thing. Jeremiah's trust in the sovereign God was going to be put to the test at every turn. That that trust in a sovereign almighty God who has a plan and a path was going to be put to the test. God gives him two visions in verse 11. Look, look at verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it, right? That God is watching over his word, that his purposes, he, he knows his purposes. Trust in him. Secondly, the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be loosed upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdom of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands." In that second vision, Jeremiah is given this vision of the coming destruction from Babylon and how that would serve the purpose of the Lord to bring judgment against the Jewish people who had chosen evil, that their focus had shifted from the promise that God had given them way back in Genesis chapter 12, that hey, I'm gonna make you a great nation. You're gonna be a blessing to all nations. And then even in to after the Exodus, right? Anybody, Charlton Heston? 10 Commandments, right? Maybe you're too young for this room, man, because some of you guys should be cracking up right now. Um, comes on an Easter or something like that, right? They come out of the land. God gives them out of Egypt and says, hey, um, you're gonna go into the promised land and I want, you to, I want you to destroy and weed out because I don't want you to adopt these idols. Israel begins to enter the land and they begin to just compromise little after little and say, oh, we kind of like this stuff. And they take this culture. Oh, we like a little bit of this. And what had happened over time is they had turned to compromise and into idol worship. And it was fully rampant. 
And God, in his great grace and in his eternal providence, is going to execute this season of pruning and pain for these people. And as Jeremiah goes, I'm sure in his mind, he thinks, man, God's given me a message. I'm gonna go on this path. I'm gonna enter in here and people are gonna repent. They're gonna fall on their face. They're gonna turn back to God. It's gonna be great. They're, they're gonna praise him. I'm gonna be God's tool for this. And here's the thing. Every time that Jeremiah opens his mouth, he is beaten, stoned, imprisoned. Even his own hometown plots against him. He sees like two converts come, come to faith in this time. Like it is not the, it is not, probably not the way that Jeremiah had thought, I'm gonna give you power over nations and over kingdoms. Probably not how he thought it was gonna turn out. In fact, in Jeremiah 20, verse seven, he gets to this point where he is so frustrated and so dismayed that he uses this word deceived, which is actually the Hebrew word for seduced. He says, God, you seduced me. You brought me in and told me what I wanted to hear to get your way with me. He is so utterly despaired. You see, the call and the plan and the way to life that Jeremiah may have thought was gonna bring repentance was actually marked by a lot of frustration. It was marked by a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. It was marked, man, by, by something not according to his plan. In fact, in, verse, in chapter 29, before we get to that great verse that goes on people's Instagram, there are still exiles in Babylon. And God tells those exiles, hey, build houses because you're gonna be here a while. Like it doesn't seem to be going to plan. And, and God even says, hey, and those left behind in Judah, their judgment's coming as well. I mean, maybe you've been in that, in that vein where you think of being faithful to God. I'm walking in his purpose. I'm trying hard to lay hold of him. And it just seems detour after detour is in your road. I can remember as a young pastor, I was 25 when I was a lead pastor of a church. It's a recipe for disaster, people. And as a young pastor, I assumed a lot of this, and maybe it was my own youth and maybe my own zeal, but I thought, man, you open the word, you preach really passionately, and hey, I'm, I'm even toned down from back then. You're like, oh, that guy just yells all the time. But you think, man, people are gonna repent, they're gonna turn to Jesus, they're gonna follow him, church is gonna blow up, I'm the next Matt Chandler, I'm gonna be writing books and everything. And then it goes from like 150 to 30 people, and you're like, okay, not my plan. Fast forward seven years and I'm burned out and I'm like, I need to step out of ministry for a season. My wife can speak to this and if you wanna go get coffee with her at some point, she'd love to tell you the whole story. We find ourselves leaving the ministry before any moral failure or anything and trying to be obedient to the, to the word of God and trying to be obedient. We, we fast forward, we're in the basement of my brother-in-law's you know, house crying our eyes out going, God, I really thought, I really thought I was being faithful here. Really thought, nine and a half months without a job, man, that causes you to start doubting some of the things of God. And maybe that's you at some point, right? Like the plan that you had, the detour to God's glory and the good of his people seems to completely go off course sometimes. And that we question God. But here's the thing. Every time that we question God, 
about his plan, about his way, or even the way that he is executing it, we are doing that from a finite perspective, aren't we? That in my 39 years of living, that somehow I've got it more figured out than the eternal sovereign God does. You can imagine some of our toddlers giving us advice on our 401k, right? Dad, I really think you should invest in Tesla. Who are you? Cryptocurrency, that's the way to go. Like, well, I should have listened to you there, kid. But man, can you imagine that us, in in our finite perspective, we often question those purposes of God and, and it leaves us frustrated even more because God's plans and his purposes don't often line up with ours. So what do we do? Like, what do we do when we're in the midst of that? And maybe that's not you right now, but, but here's the thing. It, it may be coming, that detour may be coming, that roadblock, that, that detour off the course and still on God's path may be, may be coming. What do we do? Well, God in his sovereign purposes knew that Jeremiah's message was not gonna be received well. So in verse 17, he gives him four directives that I wanna look at here. Look at verse 17. He says to Jeremiah, after all of this, that there's gonna be this, but you dress yourself for work, arise and say to them, everything that I command you, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So the first directive that God gives to Jeremiah is found there at the beginning. Dress yourself for work. Arise. Literally, in a day when tunics were worn, that they were, what the the verse is saying here is to tie your tunic in such a way that your legs are free to work. That when we're in the midst of those detour after detours, what often happens is we just become lazy, don't we? It's easy just to sit back and be lazy, but, but God says, don't get sucked in to the satanic lullaby that the devil is singing to us. Work for the good of the city. Preach the gospel. Arise, continue to work. The myth of the sovereignty of God is that somehow we're determinists, right? God's gonna do what he's gonna do. We just get to sit back. No, the Bible is riddled with work, not, not, not for him, but because of him. And we're to arise and get up. And what often happens is the stirring of our heart comes And we set out resolutely to face those detours. And Satan comes and says, ah, new Netflix show. Shh, calm down. More comfort, more ease. Just take it easy, rest. Hey, I'm all for rest, man. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. There's also this idea of working because of who he is. We work, we arise and resolutely set our face to the task that God has given us. Secondly, he says, say to them everything that I command you to. Say to them everything that I command you, that we are to speak what God has said. But to speak what he said, we have to know his word. 
To know his word that sometimes we think saying it means preaching it to others and yes and amen. Share your story, have spiritual conversations, enter into those spaces, yes and amen with the truth of the word, but also preach the gospel to yourself. Preach it to yourself, root your life in the word of God so that it naturally comes out of you. Listen, here's the, here's the thing. The biggest factor in people leaving or abandoning the faith in our generation is not frustration with God. It's not doubts or questions. It is a low view of the word of God. That we have such a low view that it's just some self-help book and some guide and roadmap to living. No, this is the inerrant, authoritative word of God that calls us from death to life and then gives us the way to life because of him. What is your view of scripture? Do you value it? Are you engaged in it? If not, why? Is it because you don't have enough time? Is that part of the satanic lullaby? And if, if you're not, I would encourage you, get guys or girls together and just start reading this thing. We got a great plan that's right out there at the next, the connections table. Go grab that plan and just join us on it. How do you approach the scripture? Is it me-centered? Do I approach it to find out more about me? Or am I approaching you and go, God, will you come off the pages at this thing? Show me your character and your grace and your goodness so that may overflow out of me. For Jeremiah to enter into the rebellious heart of these people, he had to know what God had said, be convicted of it and convinced by it. Are you? The third is, the third he says, do not be dismayed by them lest I dismay you before them. Jeremiah was gonna enter in. There was not gonna be great response to this. But he was not to be dismayed. Dismayed is this idea of fear-based emotion. And we are driven by not healthy fear, but by fear of man. Listen, tough times are coming. If you're old enough, you can speak to that. If you're young enough, be resolved because it's just part of living in a broken world. And sometimes hard times are just part of that. It's not because God is punishing us. It's not because he's, he's, he's angry with us. It's just the reality of living in a broken and fractured world that things are not always gonna go according to our plans. That we're gonna have those great conversations and be dismayed. Or we're gonna think we're entering into spaces only to be deceived and have, have real doubts there. But God in his grace allows us to lean into the promises of God. Why? Because even for Jeremiah, as tough as the message, that wasn't the end. Judgment wasn't the end. God goes, it's gonna kill them all and figure it out later. That wasn't the end. In fact, in Jeremiah 31, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You know who that is? That's Jesus. Not this covenant built on this brokenness, but a covenant that is built on the blood of our Savior, the promised one from the beginning, from way back in Genesis chapter three. So the beauty of this is that we're not dismayed. And the hope for the believer is in these promises 
that God is true to his word, even when the way to life seems impossible and seems blocked, the eternal perspective that God gives the believer allows us to enter into spaces both physically and mentally that nobody else can. Why? Because we're not dismayed by what we see in the world. Heartbroken, yeah. Sobered by it, absolutely. But not fear-based by it. The Christian is called not to the extremes of society. The only thing I'm an extremist for is if we're gonna be for the gospel. We're not called to the extremes that society has taken up, but to confidence that we serve a God who is working all things for his glory and the good of his people and his holy purposes. And so my peace is resolved in him. And hey, if you're in here today and, 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 and you've been searching throughout all these things to find out where, the, where is God in all of this? And maybe that wrestling and angst is in you, man, here's the gospel call. It's not that I cleaned my act up, not that somehow I found magical peace by meditating more, or just focusing on good things all the time or not thinking about sin. Well, the gospel call is that Jesus entered into spaces he lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserved. And he rose again victorious. Do you believe that? That allows us to not be dismayed. That's where peace comes from. And so as a Christian, this is why we enter in and are called to gentle resolution in the midst of the trials. Christian, you are a sojourner and an alien. You should never feel at home here. There should be a healthy angst in you. And like Jeremiah, the believer is close enough to culture to see where it misfires, but far enough to enter in with truth and love. We're not dismayed when we look at the news. Oh no, what's gonna happen? Oh, we are resolute because of the God that we serve. And fourth and lastly, is that we persevere. Verse 19, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord. Things did not get better for the people right away. In fact, if we're gonna look here in a minute, in, in chapter 52, Babylon comes and they burn the city and burn the temple and take the rest of the people into exile, right? But God says in verse 19, the enemies of God may do their best, but the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Even if we lose our freedoms or our lives, the chosen of God are not abandoned. They will be vindicated. God will deliver and restore. Look quickly at Jeremiah 52, if you have your Bible. When the book seemingly ends on this sour note of the people being taken into exile and the temple being burned, God gives hope. Look at verse 50, uh, at chapter 52, verse 31. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. You know why that's so important? It's because he's of the line of David. You know who else is of the line of David? Jesus. 
When things seem tumultuous, God gives hope. Jesus faced the roadblock, right, of the cross. And the disciples thought, man, this can't be the end. This can't be it. This can't be the way the Messiah comes. And yet he conquers the roadblock. We have a savior who is never thwarted. So where are you? Where is your vision? Are you resolutely fixed on the truth and the promises of God? Or have your Has your vision come off of this word and the steady promises and gone to culture? Are you shifting to compromise? What the church needs now more than ever are Christians that slow down, that gently, truthfully, and lovingly enter into spaces of society that aren't caught up in the emotions of the immediate, but that cast every burden at the feet of Jesus. And here's the thing. We can do that, not because we're really good at it, but because we have a savior who on the cross said, eh, eh, maybe. He didn't say, eh, maybe it's done. He said, it is finished. He sits victorious on the throne. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the truth of your word. I'm grateful for how it speaks Man, not just to a time long ago, but even to our moment right now. I thank you that in your sovereignty and your grace, you continually stir our affections for you and through your word that you allow us to resolutely hold to the promises of Jesus. And so God, when in a culture, in a moment that is so disarrayed, God, may the believers in here cling to those truths gently, resolutely, truthfully, and lovingly enter into the space for the sake of the gospel, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.